0: Hey, 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 hey,
1: chaos. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation.
0: Hey, 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 chaos. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I always start off saying I'm so excited for the guests, but this one I I'm going to use a different word. And I honestly feel honored because this oh. has been someone, and I know it's not just her. It's she's got a team behind her. But I have done and found most of my most recent learning around AI and thinking about applications to education through her work and her team's work and and the just stuff we'll get into, the webinars, the resources, the courses, and all the stuff they have. That really is. You know, I'm already getting long winded here, but there's just so much out there that it's, it can be daunting to anybody that's trying to wrap their head around it for the first time. And her and her team have put together some work that I think really is practical, it's helpful, and it just kind of helps you figure out how to take the first step um, for a lot of people where this is brand new. And so I'm speaking today with Amanda Biggerstaff and part of the AI for education, and I'll let her explain and talk through all that. But Amanda, really, I am truly honored. I mean that uh, sincerely to have this opportunity to chat with you. Uh, but before we get going into all the fun, let's let, let people know who in the world you are, in case your name is new to them. Who are you? What do you do? And uh, you know what in the world do you got going on?
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak to someone about um, really education, but also generative AI. Right now, I've gotten very boring. It's really what I think about all the time, um, and so it's just a pleasure to be here. And to you know, I'm first and foremost an educator. I started as a teacher in a, a public school in the Bronx at 22 years old. I was a New York City teaching fellow, and so I had this formative experience of deeply, deeply understanding the complexity of teaching but also the complexity of of low and marginalized communities and and how to support and think about like you know teaching and and working within those contexts or even going to school within those contexts and so that was a very good learning for me that's really stuck with me my entire career Um, it was the hardest thing i ever did until my last job which was i was an ed tech ceo in australia i am not australian My life has taken a lot of paths and, um, you know, to to move to a new country where I didn't know. I mean, we love acronyms in education. And I swear I was the CEO of a company. And for six months, I did not understand any acronym. So they're like ATAR and NAPLAN and like ATSL. And I just smiled and nod my way through. And then suddenly, you know, like over time, they started to make sense to me. But that was uh, I was there during COVID. And if you know, Melbourne was the most locked down place in the world. So I was in the most locked down place in the world. And so those are two really formative experiences for me um, about starting AI for education. The third is I'm a researcher, so I got most of a PhD. If anybody finished it, I appreciate you. I did not. I liked working too much and not didn't like academic writing, which is all very funny because when I was in Australia, we did um, some of the biggest studies of their kind on the impact of COVID. So we published four papers in sixteen months, uh, which is hysterical because. It would have been great to have a doctor in front of my name for all kinds of reasons, but also, um, you know, I wish I could just like retroactively get a PhD. And just be like, hey, I did this stuff. People cited it. It's okay, but that's not how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> and now I am the uh, CEO and founder of AI for Education, um, which is uh, those three the the teaching. Uh, my ed tech CEO background and then my research background all kind of came together in this really interesting intersection because I've seen all parts of the education system. I've done all jobs. I've done everything from understanding what it means to be in the classroom to supporting teachers in the classroom to building technology for the classroom. And then on the other side, understanding like the evidence base that needs to be there. So I managed to get myself super burnt out, which is probably unsurprising um, considering <laughs> what I did to myself. Um, and so I ended up traveling the world for six months. highly recommended if anybody could do that. Um, and took a break and then came back to the US. And when I was thinking about what to do next, I used ChatGbt for the first time, and I I always suggest this if anybody's listening. my first tip for you all is if you're using generative AI for the first time, pick the thing you hate the most <laughs> to do as an educator. and mine was rubrics. So one of the companies, the first company I helped build, was this online professional development company called Salary uh, Advancement Courses. And uh, I was the only education person. And we did 200 courses in 20 months. And so every course had three rubrics. And so I either wrote every rubric or reviewed every rubric. And that's 600. And so if anybody can feel my pain out there, I am sorry. I still feel it. It was the first thing I ever asked ChatGPT to do was like, here, build me a rubric. And when it built me a rubric in a table without me asking, I was done. I was like, this is this is something that is truly transformative. It is the disruption that we've been talking about forever in education. Um, but at the same time, I know how hard it is to adopt new technologies. And this is not just a new technology. This is a, this is a magnitude change. So I started with AI for Education, put up a website, a prompt library, have never built a website before. So that was fun. Um, And it's been really cool. So it's been about four months now. Um, Actually, today is four months since the website went up. And we've had this really great opportunity to work with educators from all around the world, trying to help them responsibly navigate the adoption of AI.
0: Oh, I love that. I mean, there's so much there. I mean, you could just take the podcast just to hear about your world travels. That would be uh, fascinating enough in and of itself and everything else that you've got going on. And uh, I mean, I think just that right there in and of itself proves uh, the power of being a lifelong lear- learner, which you you obviously are. And, you know, maybe to, to kind of bridge this into some of this AI conversation, you know, thinking about when you were in Australia, and I'm thinking about acronyms and how much we love that in education and to immerse yourself in a, a country with all new acronyms, you know, that's pretty much how a lot of people feel in the world of AI, acronyms or not, just like, what is all these, this new terminology and what is this chat GPT and prompt engineering and prompts and, you know, all the stuff that comes with that. I know that because I've been on the webinars, I've seen your stuff. And I want to, I want to talk about some of the things that you guys have going on, but I want to start with a question um, before we get into that, because I'll get really excited about it. But, you know, as you thinking about AI, you're thinking about education, you know, in that broader space, what is it, that you wish like more people ask you questions about or wanted to know about AI in terms of education landscape that maybe you haven't had a chance to to get out there. I mean, I know there's there's so much, um, but I'm just curious in your own learning journey. Congratulations on the four months of this of this new venture for you. You know, is there something that you're like, man, I wish people would ask me about this with AI? I'm really putting you on the spot, boy. Right, right no. on the here. But I'm just curious.
1: I Oh, man, you know, what's really interesting is that I think that this is one of those peak times where it's very hard to figure out what the question is to ask. And right. so a lot of what we do is actually put stuff into the world so that people have something to respond to. And so what I would say is that I think it's just curiosity. I think it's just I want people to be curious. Like you can ask me any question. I will answer your questions. I've got a very yes kind of space right now if people reach out to me on LinkedIn or through email I try to take time and, and respond because the curiosity is really important. And I know we're coming off of code fatigue. Um, you where know, you know, There's a lot of burnout. There's so many ed tech tools. There's so many um, expectations out of the classroom. And the one thing, that the great place to start is like, how can this help you? How can this help you uh, lower your administrative burden? How can it provide some support in places in which you haven't had it before? Um, you know, we... Lesson planning, it can be quite difficult. So how like ask me how you can you can lesson plan more quickly or more effectively, or take that x you know, take that little time that you have and and actually create something that's more personalized for your classroom. Those things that are really hard for us to do because we're in this cognitive and mental overload a lot of times as educators, especially at the beginning of a school year or if you're a new teacher, in this case when we have a new technology. So I'd say like, just be curious. like and I think that's the most important thing we can do. Um, I start most of our PDs with uh, take out your phone. Everyone take out your phone. And you already have AI. AI has been around for 70 years. It's chatbots have been around for a long time. and but the differences we're moving from this idea of like classical AI, where it's like predictive text, theory, recognizing your face. And what's happened is now we have this generative, this ability for technology to be accessed and to create with just words. So when people talk about all this, like the, all these these prompt engineering prompts, et cetera, all that means is that natural language—the way I'm talking to you today—if I was typing that and soon when I speak, instead of like having to think through and building code to get something out of it, a computer system, now I can just say, "Build me a rubric with these pieces," and that's what we call a prompt. And if you get really good at prompt engineering, all that means is that instead of going back behind the scenes again, and doing like if then statements and syntax and all that kind of stuff, you're just asking a really good question. And you're also being able to follow it up with even better questions, because it really is a, an assistant and or a partnership that you need to do. And so all of these things seem very, very hard. But in reality, because it's natural language focus, it is the easiest thing to do to get started. And so that's why we created a prompt library where you can just cut and paste, because we know that, like, my favorite is people are like, oh, it's like Google. So I'm going to go in and search like Google. And I'm like, it is not Google. In fact, right. it is worse. Google it is not connected to the Internet. It hallucinates, which we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about later. And so but people will use it as Google and ask it like a simple thing. And it'll either give back the thing wrong or does not be very useful because they don't have an understanding of like the the difference. But if you just ask it, like build me a travel plan. Like you said, so Aaron, I'm like, you know, go on the trip with me. We're doing six months. Where should I go? I can now ask it like, where, like, these are my interests. Um, This is my itinerary. This is how much I want to spend. Help me, help me plan something. And that is something that would take us. Sometimes people spend 20, 30, 40 hours planning a trip. Um, And instead it could take you like, a, you know a quarter to even you know an hour of time and i think that that's really the power but it's not something that's intuitive you have to have support to get there because of the our intuitive nature is to use it the wrong way
0: yeah well i love that and i think you hit on something that's that's key you know i'm just taking through some of the things i've i've done over the summer working with educators in various places and some online stuff and then also being participants and and trying to figure out you know how all this works and what it means for education, you know, as we think about that prompt engineering or that prompt, you know, I'm thinking back to like your example about, you know, what's the one thing you hate doing for you, like rubrics, right? Like where was that 600 rubrics ago when you had that job, right? You could put in some custom instructions and boom, you you would have been, been, been going. And I think that's a really pivotal idea for a lot of people getting started is like with anything, take, take all tools and tech and all the stuff away what is it? What is our outcome? What's our desired endpoint that we're looking for? And sometimes people dive into this and they're like, I don't know what to do. It's not giving me what we want, but it's like, but what is it that you're after? And I think just like with anything, a good lesson plan, a a good project, a good learning situation with AI or without is knowing what your outcome, what you're hoping to achieve. And I think with this AI and these tools, it's the same thing. Like, what is it that you're after? Like you said, plan that itinerary. I've got this amount of days, I got X amount of dollars. I wanna I knew it wanna do these three things, help me figure out how to do it. That's when it becomes really, really great at what would take, you know, maybe hours or days to figure out, it can start just pushing stuff out in a matter of minutes. So I think that's a a really it seems so duh, but anything with tools, we just kind of think it's gonna like read our minds and just magically know what to put out next.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's something that is really interesting because it is, I, I, we're on this Facebook group, which anybody here, shout out Facebook group, <laughs> the T Tea for Teachers. I so enjoyed good. it. Yep. Uh, I, Harry Pickens was the moderator for doing a <laughs> webinar together. So like, like, we're going to do some stuff together, but What I would say is that what I see a lot is like, I just want it to do X because I think we just want the cognitive offload of I just want it to make slides. My favorite one, if you, apparently the biggest pain point for teachers, this is my (laughs) straw poll, is we hate creating slides for Google Classroom or whatever it may be, but computer vision is not great. So most of these tools, please don't pay for them unless you really, really like them, um, don't work particularly well. But what I think is interesting is that it does take us down like a like a huge level of magnitude down of that cognitive like work but it's not like you said a mind reader but what will happen and so like prompt engineering my hot take for today or I'm sure this is only going to be one is that prompt engineering <laughs> as a skill is going to be gone yeah. and not unnecessary in about 16 to 18 months because what's going to happen is this idea of prompt engineering remember is just where we're going in we're we're knowing how to ask good questions and it takes some time What's going to happen is these are that's going to go behind interfaces in which it just says, enter these couple things, I'll give you this. Or, or it'll use the data it's already been trained on to to um, anticipate what you need. And then you're starting from a place of, like, a draft and then working on it together. So these things are coming. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and get in there. As educators, this is an ideal time to understand technology in a way that, like, has never been possible before, before for most of us. And it also has power in that. Like when an ed tech person comes in or a technologist comes in and says, hey, we're doing all this stuff. A lot of times we're like, okay, what's your proof? But now you can actually understand it. Like you can say, okay, so how are you, like, what are you using? What like I, like? I What are the foundational models? Are you using ChatGPT or Are you using Claude? Or what are you, you know, like you can start to have conversations that are very deep because you have now, you're using the same stuff that these technologists are using to build their systems. And so there's that component of it, but also it's a great time to teach students about how these programs work. So generative AI as a model, so that they're understanding how to become critical users of this technology. So even when prompt engineering goes behind uh, that kind of interface, it doesn't mean that it will be good or perfect. In fact, I'm going to bet you right now, hot take number two, is that it's not going to be perfect, actually. It's going to tell you it's going to be like 95% good because these models themselves are not infallible and in fact are just predictive. And so with generative AI, it's going to make mistakes, some less, some more, depending on what you ask and what models you're using. But even when it's easier and easier, you still have to be able to identify when it's going to be used accurately and when it's not, when it's hallucinating, when it's not, et cetera. And so these are really great opportunities to get involved and to rethink what it means to be a teacher and to have power. Like this is power. Like you can actually create your own chatbot. And a lot of teachers are, and it, they don't have to be technologists. They just have to be really, really good at a thing. If you are the best instructional designer on, you know, Bucks Institute PBL, or you are really really great at socratic questioning or you are an expert in um you know early 20th century literature i don't know um making you know a lot of these different things you can build a knowledge base and then create something and you do not have to have a computer science degree
0: yeah and that's what i think is like the beauty of helping people start to see themselves outside of like a lane that they sometimes place themselves in and i think educators and i mean this not as a, a a diss by any means, like they are sometimes their own worst enemies. They label themselves in terms of like, this is what I can do. Even though they spend every waking hour trying to help kids be the best version of themselves. They, they sometimes like put so many barriers on themselves. Like they don't even realize how incredible they are and what they do in their craft all day, every day. And this is true for admin as well, to be able to see themselves doing exactly what you just said. They're like, no, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I'm not a computer scientist. I'm not good at X, you know what I mean? Like the very things we try to help kids not have that mindset, sometimes we we do the very same thing in education, you know, um, to ourselves. And I think that's, to me, one of the biggest things I've been trying to work through is like, how do we help? There's more mindset than even tech learning. Like, how do I get you to see that you are capable <laughs> Of using these tools, even though it might seem a little overwhelming at first, it might seem like one more thing. It might seem like, holy cow, how am I even going to process this with you know kids and learning and all these things? And just realizing, like, once you start to like just dab your feet within the ecosystem, like you'll 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 come alive. And I watch it happen time and time again. My biggest thing is always like push back on it. Just try to try to challenge it. Like how be be the kid in your class that drive you wild and and just see if you can break it you know in a legal sense not that you're going to do anything illegal you know but like just to see what happens and all of a sudden now they're just once they do that boy they hunker down and uh i usually lose them for a while but it's just trying to give them like that sense of like you have permission to to go try things like it's it's nothing bad it's going to come of it you know and you discover lots of things you talked about, not everything's accurate. You got to start to analyze, you got to start to synthesize and kind of leading up to my next question there is I think one of the, at least in my mind, one of the misconceptions is yes, there's that whole topic of cheating and plagiarism, which is everywhere along with how do I get my slides created, which is in that Facebook group about every other post, you know, but I think one of the big things is once people start to use it is, is that higher level thinking. Like you have to know how to synthesize and analyze and do some of that higher level thinking to be able to compare and contrast and identify, in this case, the answer to even know if it's valid or not valid to be able to then, you know, prompt the next segue of the learning or the outcome that you're after. So I'm curious, how do you navigate that? Or or how do you help people kind of maybe process through that, not so much the, oh my God, every kid's going to cheat in its easy path because I know that's a, its own thing for its own flavor, but helping them see like you still have to be able to reason and critical thinking to use these tools effectively.
1: So great question. There's a couple of things. Um, one, I, we had a webinar about a month ago with students, 15 to 18 year olds that were experts in AI. They actually do emerging tech and our students. And so Christian, who's 15, um, he was saying, well, if you can teach us that vaping is bad for us, why can't you teach us that ChatGPT can be bad for us too? And the, the point was that like, there is, there's real risk with cognitive offload with students and, and just general people at formative stages um, whether that's your new job or, you know, you're, you're learning in college or other pieces where these, these neural networks, these things that you're building, right, the cognitive science of it are really important, especially at younger ages. And so if to give it all away, so to speak, to a chatbot, it's going to impact you negatively. So I'll start there. So we do need mm-hmm. to think about like, how do you balance this? And then I'll just use an example how we do this. So we built a curriculum, shout out to Michael Kingston, who helped us do this. Um, with four lessons. And the way that we design the four lessons is that not only are they for students, but I think they're also for teachers. Yes. Is the first one is just like, what is it? And let's do some prompt engineering. And what we're going to do is we are coining the term AI moves. So there's student moves and teacher moves in the classroom. If you're familiar with that, that's what teachers do and students do. And it's very common. But what can AI do in that classroom in a, in a pedagogically sound way? So and the first one we use is that uh, the students actually create prompts and they go back and they ask chat TBT, what it is. And so they use the actual tool to like dive into and interview it. And so they start to understand what it is, how it's designed, how to interact with it. And so that's a starting place. We always talk about building familiarity and capacity. And so that's where we start. Then we go into this idea of thinking versus computing. So what's really interesting is that chat and other tools like Pi, which are meant to be like friendly um, are, they look like they are, Thinking, they yeah. they can respond and they can say, "Hey, Aaron, I remember you." Like in this chat, and so, but they're not actually thinking; they are computing. They're just computing in a way that just is generative and/or we can call it creative. And so, the way that we teach about that is that give it a game, for example, give it a structure that is relatively easy for a human to follow. So, celebrity heads a yes/no game. Pick, you know, I'm going to say I'm going to be Beyonce. You have to figure out who I am with only yes or no questions. You have 20 questions. You and I can do this very easily. A five-year-old can do this. You know, it's something that like is, it's a very kind of basic game. But If you give it to that to other generative AI tools, what will happen is it can't follow. It'll, it'll try to cheat. It will change the rules. It will forget. It do- doesn't count. So it doesn't know what number it's on. And it's actually pretty funny. So in our you know, demo of this, the game, <laughs> we actually felt bad by accident and gave it a hint without meaning to because it was like doing so poorly. But what it does is it shows this very simple thinking piece that it can't do. And so you get to understand that this is still a computer program and you have to be very cautious. The third thing is we've been talking about hallucinations. So hallucinations, because it is predictive, is when it makes stuff up because it's just trying to tell you what it's thinking, right? It's trying to tell you what you think it should say. And so it can be quite good at, you know, simple math, but it's not doing math. All it is doing is predictive every word or every sentence, depending on what model you're using. And so it gets it right sometimes because the training data that will say two plus two equals four a billion times. So it's pretty sure that's correct. Um, And so what will end up happening though, is instead of it saying, I don't know, what it will do is it will make it up. So things like URLs, facts, citations, whether it could tell you that like, Amanda wrote a book, I've not written a book, you know, things like that. And so we teach about that through hallucinations. So students actually get to um, try a couple of prompts that are very common, they're an expert on something. And they ask, you know, like, whether it's a game or a person, they ask a bunch of questions to the AI, and what'll happen is it gets it wrong, and you know it's, it gets it wrong. You know, maybe a little bit, or maybe a lot. If it's after twenty twenty one, which is a lot of training sets go. So that's three, and then the last thing is like, what does this actually mean for you? So the last the way we we ended is how can you think about your own policy of use? So you've learned about what it can do, what it can't do. You've seen how cool it is, the limitations, etc. So now how are you going to responsibly use this? And so what ends up happening is students co-create those policies. And so they're thinking through appropriate use they're thinking through worked examples. But what it does, what we hope it does is it's like really cool and interesting. It's kind of fun. Uh, It's silly at times, which we all love that moment where something breaks in a funny way because students will remember that. But then they also learn like how they're going to apply that to their own practice. And there are gentic beings in that space. Mm. It is not happening to them. They are getting to make a choice to say, like, I want, you know, this is going to be a consequence or these are places I really like help. And this is like, can we work together to create a space where that is the AI move where I personally struggle with refining a text or thinking up a thesis statement. Can I use this for my own practice to brainstorm if I keep track of it, if I show you my prompts, if I do it in a way that is thoughtful and productive instead of just saying no blanket, no. And I think that that's where it really gets special because then Again, this is that opportunity to democratize access to to computing, right? And to building, creating that shouldn't just stop with teachers, but also hopefully be a huge part of students' experience because it's going to be there in industry no matter what happens. Right, right.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's, gosh, there's so much there. And at first I'll just say in the show notes for those listening and those that listen already know this, I will put links to those lessons that you've talked about. I've been sharing those out. And I know in particular, that student pol- that co-creation of policy with student lesson, I just freaking love. Um, and I've been working with starting to working with some admin and I'm like, you guys need to do this, for, do these lessons for your own learning as adults, and then you need to go back and then start to think about how you can bring the student voice in because that's just as vital. Because I think there's also a a misconception that every kid is using this to cheat. And I've been trying to talk to like I've been working talking with I'm not going to say it's thousands of kids, but lots of like students and different conferences. And you were part of the I think the one conference that was hosted by by students. And I mean, just the idea of like. Yes kids are on social media, yes they're on their phones, but they're like I think about my own children like they are private it's, it's 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 a private use. Like yes they're on it, but it doesn't like go out. It's not like my generation where we're like, "Hey, on Facebook, everybody look at what I'm eating. Everybody look, hey, I'm here." Like it's very like kind of private. And not every kid is like, "Yeah, this is great." Some have, have have some issues with this. Some think it's cheating and so I think they're to bring their voice in and to assume that every kid's going to use it because it's a quick way out is, is really, really a, a disservice to our, our students or our younger populations because they have a lot of thoughts and ideas around it. And I know even just talking with my, I have a high school, uh, got a college, high school and junior high. So they all kind of have, you know, different thoughts whether they care or do and 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 whatnot. Um, but I wanted to build off of what you said earlier. And I'm, I'm curious on this cognitive type of offloading, so to speak. I just interviewed a gentleman and I'll put his name in the show notes. His name is Justin. about this extended mind philosophy. Are you familiar with this at all? I'm going to say it like yeah. if I know what it is. I mean, I literally just learned <laughs> about it a few days ago. It's this whole notion that like we can offload our cognitive brain, like our, our learning, our intelligence doesn't just have to be in the brain itself. And the example he used was like, take the pencil of the written language for the, up until that point, everything was kind of in our brains, but now we've been able to offload our thinking and our thoughts that can transcend even time. Like, so even when I pass away, my blog and my ideas still exist. And his idea, not to get too long winded in this is like AI is just this next kind of extended mind um, philosophy where we can now extend what we can cognitively do with these new tools. And, his example that he uses is Iron Man. Um, so <laughs> I'll explain this really quick. And I'm curious on your thoughts based on what you just said. And um, if you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, we can just cut this <laughs> out. But he talks about Iron Man. And this is where my head's been spinning a lot and making me rethink some of my stuff I've been sharing on AI is you've got Tony Stark, right? But like Tony Stark by himself, I don't know if you're a superhero junkie, but clearly I am <laughs> with my backdrop, is not <laughs> Iron Man. He's this billion dollar philanthropist and, you know, kind of cool guy or, you know, whatever you want to think of Tony Stark. But he himself is not Iron Man. But then you've got the Iron Man suit. But that suit itself is also not Iron Man. It's just a really, really expensive piece of metal and technology. But by itself, it's nothing. And then he's got Jarvis, which is like the AI interface. But even that by itself doesn't work but when you put them all together, you now have Iron Man. You have like the human, you have the technology and you have the AI all working, which allows Iron Man then to make these decisions to do good or bad or whatever. Okay, so there's my nerdy little thing. (laughs) But this has me thinking a lot about this, thinking about AI. I'm thinking about the next wave of students where AI is gonna be integrated in everything. And how much do we help teach them how to use AI? It's not going away. It's going to be more integrated than ever before. And is this part of this kind of like extended mind philosophy um, concept? I don't know where I land on it. You may not. You might. You might be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and we can we can move to a next question. But I'm just curious. My my coffee's yeah. flowing this morning. Like you're ready. That like what do you <laughs> like? What comes to mind for you through all the work and research you do?
1: Yeah, well, I think that when you talk about the pencil, right, like the there's a reason why it's easier to talk than to write. There's actually a cognitive change that happens when you're writing the mind body connection, the way that you're like the way that you have to think about the permanence of what you're doing, the way in which you like frame the letters. Like there's a lot that goes into that. I think that is different. Than typing on a keyboard that it's still something that we do and that will be the primary the primary uh, approach to these including moving even to voice and so I'm not sure that it's going to have the same difference of like the actual cognitive component of it where we're we're stretching and, and our minds are becoming different in a in a more positive way i think what's going to end up is that potentially we're going to do less like we're going to actually like maybe not write anymore and mm-hmm. we're going to there's going to be some some changes there where we're going to see some pruning that happens i think that there the the one kind of way that's really struck me is to think about this is that and the thing i get most excited about is that when we mark Andreessen, who i don't always agree with but has a a, a nice um uh, way of framing this that you know there are three epochs of computing. The first is when microchips happened. And when microchips happened we had computers is that the cost of computing went from enormous machines with people like literal human power of like putting in these you know large you know piece of paper and yeah. it was huge to zero, the it costs a lot to zero. So now I have a laptop, I have a desktop, I'm able to buy it once, I'm able to do my work. And so that's bought the marginal cost of compute to zero. Right? Then the next is the internet. And the internet took the cost of distribution to zero, meaning like I built AI for education as a website and that was all I needed to do, plus social media to be able to build a business. And so I brought the distribution to zero before it was like people literally traveling salesmen. Uh, And women going around the world or, like, phone calls or, like, oh, my gosh, junk mail. Like, what are other places that people got in front of you? And now what we have is the the marginal cost of creating is going to zero, potentially Mm -hmm. with generative AI. So I no longer need to have a team of 25, you know, engineers to build a website. Not a website, but to build a, a large... Um, you know, technology tool, like, or a website, I don't need to have a front engineer, a back end engineer. I can just use it now literally with words. Uh, there are, there are website generators are not very good, but you can <laughs> do it in a sentence. And so, you know, we're going to see, like, a, a, you know, we're going to see a real, um, like, you know, increase of the, the, worth and the, um, you know, value of these tools pretty quickly for all kinds of reasons, because you can actually have a ChatGPT or other tool code for you. And while it's not perfect, it is a lot faster than coding on your own. So. All that's to be said is that there are these opportunities now to create in ways that have never been possible before, and so we can talk about you know accessing uh, technology in ways that are below to no bandwidth. There are going to be models that you can that you'll be able to download to your computer, and if you live in an area with low bandwidth or no bandwidth. And you go to, a, you know, you have a place where you can download it and then you can work off that and it can help you with your own creation of, you know, whatever you're doing. That's going to be pretty amazing. And that's going to be a hope if we can keep these things free um, or low cost, that we will be in a position where there'll be a democratization of access. But on the other end is that there is extraordinary risk that what's going to happen is you, the McKinsey put out a report that 80 percent of jobs What are going to be, um, you know, outdated or removed from our industry, because of uh, generative AI tools, the majority of those, those 80% of those jobs, you know, that are going to be well, I think that I think by 80% of the jobs that are going to be lost, I think it's 40% of jobs, but 80% of jobs, we lost are those that are held by women or people of color. Yeah. Because we're, we're starting to go after these white collar positions, like copywriting, there's going to be paralegals, things that are very like tech based that are become more and more like those skills are going to be degraded or downgraded. And as a, as a skill set for the future is that there's that component of like, what are we training students for and what kind of jobs in the future they'll be? And will we really invest in that? But then the other end is going to be, what does school become? Yeah, You know, I don't we don't start here. I'll be honest. It's right, quite, right. We, we're, we're very deliberate in a practical approach. I do not go into a school and say, hey, rethink everything. It's done. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Uh, I do, I, and I suggest you don't do that either. But I will say that when I do these PDs, there's one or two people in the role, room that realize that the things that they're teaching kids right now are not the things they need to be teaching because we don't know what that is yet. And so we hope that like through the practical approaches and the capacity building that, that we can have these deeper discussions about what are actually the skills of the future? What are you what are we teaching students? How will schools change? How will we move past the five-paragraph essay that a, a chatbot can do at higher fidelity than pretty much any human at this stage? Um, how do we distill what actually is important to society, to learning, to creation, to happiness, to you know, fulfillment? Um, and how does that become school? And so that is to me like our underlying current of why we started AI for Education, you know, is this, this opportunity to help us build capacity really quickly in an area in which it can be quite hard, so that we could have the much more important discussion of how are we preparing students in an equitable, ethical fashion to be able to be successful adults in a world that has changed so dramatically and will continue to change faster than we can, we can see it or understand it.
0: I, I love it. I love it. Um, I love it on a lot of levels of what you're talking about there, because as you're talking about all these tools that we're talking about how we can expedite so much of that stuff, which is always pros and cons to everything. I mean, you can already start to see it now. I've seen it in, In emails, you start to see it in different newsletters and blog posts I read. Um, I use AI to help clean up some of my writing and thinking, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm above it. But you start to already feel like everything's starting to sound kind of the same. Um, And I don't mean that in a disrespect to anybody using the tools. And one of the things that I, I, even even AI, Outside of the AI realm. I'm real passionate about inquiry, uh, wonder, mm-hmm. authentic and project-based learning. That is that is where my heart and soul live. AI is my new rabbit trail that I wake up and get my my dopamine hits when I see the 14 <laughs> new updates every every 10 minutes. Um, because it is in, in, in my nerd wheelhouse. But I think there's a great reminder for the importance of what we're so good at as humans. And that's that like our own unique flavor, our own unique voice and our own capacity for thinking based on our life experiences and where life takes us. I mean, thinking about when you introduce yourself, like all your journeys have brought you to this point that you have a perspective and a process of thinking that nobody else has, you know? And I think that to me, when I think about education and I I agree, it's not a redesign, but how do we help people find and discover whatever that quote-unquote it is um, because these tools can help expedite some things but after a while it's going to get real old kind of hearing the same kind of structures and patterns because it is algorithm based yes i know you can put them in different roles and voices and all that kind of stuff but you can start to feel already the saturation of you can see the the structures or you can see somebody share out something and it's like that is not who amanda is uh, that's not how they write i don't know what that is but that's not her uh no i'm not saying you've done that uh, and so i'm bringing that up you know as you think about that that human piece i think i just uh you know i agree with everything you're saying there i think that's as i think about education is how do we help people find their voice what's what's your story what's the what is your story and how do we use what we have to teach our standards, all that stuff to help people kind of figure out who they are and who they want to be. Um, You know? And so there's my, there's my soapbox. I don't know. It's not necessarily a hot take. It's more of a soapbox, but uh, you know, that's where I've got a
1: lot of those too. I'm going to buy a soapbox (laughs) and I'm going to put AI for education on the side of it because I really enjoy standing on it. So uh, it's going to (laughs) be, it's going to be one of the things we buy.
0: Yeah. So I want to be I do want to be respectful of time because I know you're incredibly busy, but you know, I'm thinking at the time of this recording, school's either back or teacher in service is starting, or it's about to be, depending on where you are. You know, I'm thinking about as we connected earlier about the the Facebook group, which is incredible. Um, but you know, there is a lot of questions and posts, you know, whether it's about slides or whatever it might be, and it's not gonna be long until we get to like conferences and different things where there's like, Hey, here's a hundred AI tools in 50 minutes and this type of stuff. You know, how, how are you hosting or not hosting, but how are you having those conversations as you're speaking with schools and things? There are some incredible tools. Don't get me wrong. And there's some that I like to share and promote, but I feel like sometimes with anything with tech and it's one of my fears, people are going to jump to the tools before kind of truly understanding Some of the just the basic foundations of how these tools work and things to think about. How are you handling and operating that? Because you you start to see it real fast. All of a sudden, like you know, take the slide stuff. And I was uh, there was just one posted the other day, and there was like 50 comments. And I'm like, I recognize some of the tools, but there was like 15 tools I never heard of. And I'm like, but a week ago, that same question was posted, and I'm not even sure those tools even existed. And they could be great. I'm not. I'm not dissing any tool, any creator of any of that stuff. But it's just like, I, I, my fear is like we just get bombarded with, "Hey, here's a whole list of 100 tools," and we 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 don't even process the implications of AI in that in that broader scale.
1: Yeah, I think um, this is real, like there's so much noise. And that's why I actually started building a generative AI tool. And then I realized a couple things. There's no clear winner. So it's not clear who's going to win. Like is this like all these tools that are being created, do they actually have value outside of like when Microsoft, Google Classroom, big players that have access to enormous amounts of money? Because the thing that people don't recognize is that this is very expensive. So all these tools that you might be using or looking at cost the like the, the 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 cost of actually doing this type of computing is so much more than normal computing, especially if it's complex and they have to use a GBT4 or um you know more complex models. And so that's why you get asked to spend $10 or whatever, because these are very, very expensive tools. If you know anything about like building a business that's a software as a service business, usually your your costs really are only like AWS and like how much storage you have and how flexible your database is. So, if it gets really busy, you can, you know, not p- knock people out. But it's not that expensive incremental and it's incremental versus something like GPT-4, which is very, very expensive and mm-hmm. why people have tokens. And so, that's something to consider: is that a lot of people are going to be asking you to pay for stuff right now, even if it's not that good. And in, anyone that tells you that they have a, a tool that has no hallucinations and no bias and works all the time is not telling you the truth. So I'm willing to say that. Hot take number three, <laughs> I don't pay for anything. I only pay for GPT 4 only because I run a company where I have to show it. I do like Code Interpreter, but I otherwise I would be using only free tools at this stage. And we do not actually endorse anyone Um not saying that there's not immediate value. We're doing a webinar with a tool this week. I have, you know, we we do want to make sure that we're supporting the the ecosystem, but schools should not be buying these tools yet because, it, and they're actually, we're going to be launching this responsible AI badge first for both for we're building a micro credential for educators who want to be able to bring this back to their own practice to their school because there's really no um, place to go yet to get that training and and get that baseline. And then on the other end, what we are doing is the Responsible AI Tech Tool Badge, and what this means is that these companies and these are, we have a, a something that can be put into the the notes of the six top six questions to ask at Tech. But we it needs to be like these programs need to have uh, a commitment to lowering hallucinations and bias to student privacy or just privacy and transparency of the models to um, progress, meaning that they're willing to update and share. And recognize that this is a work in progress; that nothing is set in stone, and that they are committed to advocacy and effectiveness and evidence base. And if you can, if you can say that, then the tools I'm talking to that are willing to do that, and to put it front and center in what they're doing, and acknowledge that things don't work all the time, instead of saying this is this great tool, it's going to fix everything, then we feel at least that there's an opportunity to have less noise and that people can make better decisions. But again. I I would not spend my money on these tools unless you absolutely love it or you with but always with the knowledge that it's not going to be fit for purpose because there is no foundational model that everything is built on that is unbiased or less biased than the internet. <laughs> and no model that's going to be fully appropriate, including Conmigo. You can trick Conmigo to tell you that to have inappropriate content. It can be quite poor and it's quite expensive. Um, and or things that are going to say that they do not hallucinate, that they do not make things up. Um, it's getting better in some cases with different types of approaches, but realistically, we're in this world where generative AI is the worst it will ever be. But it does mean that it is a brand new technology. And even though it does some things amazingly, it does a lot of things not so great. Um, and there's a ton of research that shows all the things I'm talking about. You know, the most recent one is that uh, there was a political there's a political test of 62 questions that you, that is kind of a basic test. And they uh, researchers asked the foundational models these questions. And what they found is that um, they were on a political spectrum. So ChatGPT was more liberal, libertarian. Llama two, which is Meta's, was more conservative. And when they were able, they were able to do this at the, the the models that we use today because they're very complex and they're not open. But they were able to, to use some of the older models to then say, okay, if you're already on the spectrum, what if I train you? with data that's very similar to the spectrum, like right-wing or left-wing. And what happened is those models became more right-wing and more left-wing. They became better at identifying inconsistencies on the other side of the spectrum, but worse at identifying their own, Mm. like the own inconsistencies or falsehoods on their own. So these are examples of what happens. And so we have to be super cognizant. And I I don't want to say that we, we talk about being responsibly optimistic, I am optimistic and I hope we, you know, take our course or use our prompt library. Every, almost everything we do is free because apparently I'm not very good at business yet. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's purposeful for that 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 equity component. But what I would say is that you also have to deeply understand the limitations, be agentic, be, understand that like you have autonomy, you can make decisions, that students should be taught, not just that this could help them like learn English better, or but that this also is something that has entrenched bias that can mess up. That is something to be critically consumed. And so I just think that there's that balance, and what that means though is that it's very very hard to navigate. So if I can, I know we're coming up in time. If I can leave everybody with like a positive next step, is that be comfortable with the fact that it's changing, that you don't need to be an expert, that all you need to do is build capacity, be open and curious. And be willing to try things out, and to and to have dialogue with your colleagues, with your students, with your admins, with your family, and normalize this. Because the worst thing that possibly happened is students are are doing this on their own because there's not a space to do that in the classroom. That teachers are ostracized because they're embracing it, and others ones don't feel comfortable, and so there there's now that you know degrading like of that relationship or that we have these experiences in which your feedback is not being given to the people that are building these models. And if anybody tells you that Sam Altman is doing it for the, the, the good of the world, <laughs> he's doing it to make money and that he's going to make, oh, he's already making a lot of money but he's gonna make even more. So the, we have voice right now to like actually have a conversation about what works or doesn't work and what we want before we accept this wholesale as a fit for purpose tool within our classrooms and education systems.
0: I love it. Keep preaching. Keep preaching. I love it. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, and I would say like one thing to add to that is like, I think there is a real need and urgency as we all navigate the unknown and who knows what things will look like and shake out and all the players seem to change on a daily basis with whatever's going on. But there's a real urgency, I think, in education though to continue to build in conversations around AI not just with our colleagues, but also our students, As I think about making sure that we are building an awareness around these very topics so that students have an opportunity to have a voice at the table um, if they Mm -hmm. so choose to be there. And if we don't, to me, in my mind, I think it's with anything of authentic learning, if we don't provide those opportunities and they don't know what they don't know, then how do we start to continue to have deeper conversations around the bias and the ethics and not we're going to magically change that and just a little bit of stuff but there's a real i think a real need in, in all schools where we can have conversations with all students which means all shapes and sizes colors ethnicities all the things to just be like hey like this stuff matters and this the younger generations prove time and time again they do care and they are passionate about mm. the world and you know um ai is, is 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 another space for them to you know voice their 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 ideas and concerns because i think they do care about the earth and and you know maybe to some degree i think about my own children they're not they're not extraordinary special i mean i think they are a little bit unbiased but i mean <laughs> but but like they have an insight to the world that I never had, or you never had just because of technology and the way the world is, which is good and bad, but they have real passions about things. And so I think there's, you know, stuff for this. I think there is an obligation that we have. I'm not saying have these conversations with five-year-olds, but as we think about, you know, our social studies courses, our language arts courses, it doesn't have to just be computer science, but ways to start to have like, what does this mean? What's this look like? What are those thoughts? And, you know, what does this mean? And, I think there's a real opportunity there to, you know, help people bring their voices. Just like you said, why we have the opportunities before those opportunities get squashed by big money and and all the major players. So um, Amanda, I do want to be respectful of your time. Um, I could continue to, to, to badger <laughs> you with lots of questions here. This has been, as I said, at the beginning a, a true honor to have this opportunity to to speak with you and, learn from you here as well as continue to learn from you and all the work you've got going on we will get all the stuff in the show notes but if people want to learn more about you and your work and follow your journey we'll get all the links in there but as i always say for those sitting at a red light that maybe want to go jump on and start following now where are some of the best places to uh continue to learn from you and 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 learn from all the incredible work that you guys continue to uh, produce and create
1: Thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, like I said, at the very top, this is what I think about all the time. Um, and so it's good to be able to, to have conversations with people that so deeply care like you do, clearly. Um, if you want to learn more, we have a website, it's aiforeducation.io um, that has a whole bunch of free resources. Some of the more recent stuff we've done is we launched a free course a couple weeks ago that have about 1,500 people from around the world that have taken it um, we've got um, a whole bunch of resources for the classroom, including the curriculum, but also the prompt library. We've about fifty prompts that, if you know, like some of the um, some tools that are are paid or like they have a lot of prompts that you can do we we have one that's just free that you go cut and paste it tells you how to be creative it gives you an example it's really meant to be a place to get started and to like create create that first light bulb moment but also you have people that come back to it um, when they're looking for something specific and don't want to have to like keep putting that that brain on building that best prompt Um, We've got a couple other things that are that are helpful, hopefully in the sense of like uh, we just released uh, two things last the last couple uh, this last week around policy. So we have a student policy kind of flowchart where students can make good decisions about when and how to use AI in their own practice, as well as a guide to developing one at a school level or level. And so those things are all free on our website. Um, and if you want us to come in and actually have a chat with your team or do something, a workshop, we do a lot of those, both nationally and internationally. So that's kind of the best way. Also, LinkedIn is how I met Aaron. Um, I didn't post on LinkedIn for nine months, and actually it is not my comfort zone. This is one of those times I guess maybe if I can leave with leaning into the discomfort. Uh, I started posting again in um, you know Marfish and uh, it's been pretty consistent, really focusing on like trying to provide high value stuff. And what's happened is, um, you know, we're in a position now where we're going to I'm going to be a top voice in education. I think you're the first person that knows uh, it after Labor Day. And mm-hmm. so it's very cool. But it's a good example of like sometimes if you're like right person, right place, hopefully right person, but right person, right place, right time, that the good things will happen. So if you're, you're your own entrepreneur, you really want to get into this work. What I would suggest is like share the things that are really impactful um, and that are really like meaningful and you'll, you'll get good things to come back to you.
0: Well, I love it. Keep doing all that you're doing. I've found a ton of value already from following your work and your journey. And I know I continue to do so. And, That prompt library, just to put the icing on the cake there. There's a really good rubric (laughs) prompt uh, that could save teachers uh, sometimes a good one to start with. And uh, probably the very one one, you wish you had.
1: Yeah. It's the very first one I ever did. (laughs) And I did not write it nearly as well. But when I did do this together, it was the first one I did. But thank you so much. I just have appreciated the time together.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today.
1: Chaos. Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation.
0: Chaos.